What kind of world do you want to live in? What kind of world are we leaving for the next generation? Today's rapidly changing environment is forcing society to ask if education and our current systems are doing enough to prepare students to address tomorrow's problems. In the One Wish for the Future podcast, we listen to students and learn from notable guests across the arts and sciences. Collectively, they share their visions and explore ways to work towards a better tomorrow. I'm glad that you're all taking part in our first podcast of One Wish for the Future, which, you know, it was really inspired by you because of the many things that you, you wrote when you either when you first reached out to us, there was always this thing I noticed about what, you know, the importance of the arts and stories, but also what we can do with it and how we can build communities and how we can strengthen those uh, things and celebrate what is good in society and how we can try to make the world a better place. So I really want to pass it over to you and maybe, um, Eugene, would you like to start off and introduce yourself? I'm Eugene Lee and I go to Johns Hopkins University. I become a sophomore this fall. I would say my passions are mainly traveling or just going to new places. And in my free time, I really enjoy going to art galleries to just look at um, media art or just paintings or just art in general. Also, I'm majoring in economics. And why are you happy to be involved in doing like the one witch for the future? And what did it make you think about? I thought this one wish for the future opportunity is really unique because I've never been part of a podcast before. And since this is a very broad topic, I thought if I um, take part in this project, I could hear too many different insights and also share my thoughts on how I want the future to look like. So I'm glad to be part of this panel and podcast. Oh, thank you. Well, and, and, and we're very happy uh, to, um, and, and I think, I don't know if you had mentioned, we have people calling in from different parts of the world now too. So Eugene, tell us where you are and, um, and, and how you are doing in this time of COVID as well. I'm currently in Seoul, South Korea. Since March, I've been part of online classes and I think I'll stay in Seoul for the fall semester. Yeah, but overall, I'm doing good. All right, excellent. And who else would like to introduce uh, themselves and their wish for the future? Yeah. Um, Hi, I'm Bianca. Um, I'm upcoming sophomore, I guess, from the University of Chicago. I'm majoring in both global studies and media arts and design. What I wrote for my goal for like youth right now specifically is to kind of get away from kind of entitlement and idolization. Cause I feel like a lot of youth, like we tend to look at celebrities and just like different human beings that occupy a large space in our media realm as like celebrities or stuff. And I think, that um, gets away from conversation involving people and kind of this type of idolization and self-entitlement doesn't really prompt discussion that's needed to talk about the pandemics or different types of 
racial intolerance, things like that, that are plaguing our society at the moment. So kind of just looking to people as people rather than kind of idolizing people and really taking away from one's humanity. I think that's so important what you said, Bianca, because idolization is, it's important to have role models at the same time when you have an idolization, it also takes away some kind of your own personal responsibility. Like we actually, and I've been so impressed by all of you and in, the, in your different fields and your different interests, how you have taken on a sense of personal responsibility, the things that are important to you and your communities. Uh, so yeah, we can't just idolize people. We have to think about how we can embody the change. And so I guess we'll go uh, clockwise, it will be good. Okay, hi, my name is Ileana. I'm gonna be um, a junior in high school and I love animals and I wanna be an interior designer when I go to school. And I think my one wish for the future is to end global warming because I think that it's like kind of taking over and we can't have a world if there's no place to live in it. Like. And there's like, so like no one really cares about like plastic or anything like that. And it's like actually affecting us. So that's my one wish. <laughs> and I should also say for, we touched on this a little bit before that Ileana also like uh, Bianca uh, uh, grew up in Parkland, Florida. She presently goes to the Marjorie Stoneman School and Ileana reached out to us, um, the Marjorie Stoneman School for it's, I think it's just, the very, one of the largest mass school shootings um, they experienced. And um, Eliana, your wish for the future is global warming, but also she has been really involved in a lot of projects to help with the healing uh, process. Hi, uh, my name is Helen and I'm from the University of Washington. I'm studying uh, psychology and photo media, which is a part of the art major. And um, my one wish for the future is to hope for a, a better understanding between human beings. I hope that people can understand that we are all, we have our unique identity, but that doesn't make us odd or strange or we sh uh, we're, we're all still human beings. You know, we should know how to respect each other and to understand that this intersectionality between our own identity and other people's identity is important like we cannot ignore that and to do so we have to really just respect each other and take time to understand each other so that we can really build a better community where we're not just constantly fighting against each other to gain benefits just for yourself. Hi everyone my name is Irene Ross I'm from Princeton New Jersey and I am a recent graduate of Princeton University with uh, studies in African-American studies and visual arts. So I'm an artist and researcher now. And my one wish for the future is kind of based on one of my favorite words in Spanish, which is duende. And I have recently kind of started this art space slash shop, which highlights artworks that are customized for people. And essentially the idea is to appreciate the quality of art that really inspires the soul. It's kind of like what duende means in Spanish. And for me, something that has been kind of getting me through 
all of the quarantining and, and self-isolation and the different emotional roller coasters that can accompany that has been trying to find the art or the something special in the mundane. So whether it be interactions with my family or virtual panels that we are having right now, finding the nugget of, of, of something that's really significant or, or artistic in, in what's happening. And something that I think um, I've been talking to with others is how it isn't just like visual arts or dance or something that is very classically understood as artwork. It can be teachers or, or the art of, of teaching or other different career paths or activities. I think that's something that will kind of go towards Helen's point as well in terms of making sure that we're really investing in each other and, and building bridges across cultures and et cetera, is just really appreciating the privilege of, of making connections as we are in this podcast slash panel. So happy to be here. Hi, um, my name is Yu Young and I am currently a rising sophomore at Georgetown University. I'm in Seoul, Korea as well, like Eugen. Um, so I'm calling in at like 11 in the night, <laughs> um, but it's all good. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, hearing Irene's wish is actually really like, um, it's oddly res reminiscent to my wish and I was really glad to hear Irene's perspective, but um, my wish for the future is that we let go of the constraints that we hold to, we hold and we bound to the act of creation. I think that we have this stigma and we hold this mentality that creativity is a skill and something that we have to like measure and monetize and if you you're not an artist unless you can actually draw well and I really don't think that's the point of creating um, it's the spirit of the intent and the action and I always like try to challenge myself to um, just make things and create for the sake of it and in the process I find that I actually heal and empower myself and I wish that other people would nurture this um, potential and power in themselves. Um, so I think I wish really simply I just wish people would create more whatever these things may be. I just wanted to add that I also used to think that creativity is a skill and is a talent that only um, certain people possess. That's how I thought in the past. And I, I considered myself as one of those people who are not creative and someone who's not good at like inventing things or doing art. But now I have a different perspective. And I feel like once you have that idea that creativity is a skill and talent that only some people possess, then that just like blocks your mean of production and the way to express your ideas and talents. So I wish that more people could like consider creativity as one of their, not a skill, but one of their options to express their ideas or, or just any talent. Yeah, I just, I want to say that too. And, and I hope that the creative process project is something uh, that does something to empower the different creative disciplines, even those that aren't traditionally seen as creative. Or as you know, we have our, our invisible arts that we want to celebrate. Like Irene said, it's like it's the, the teaching or editing or all the behind the scenes people. 
And, and I think it is so right to say if people, every, each one of us feels empowered to create, that it is not just the ability or the responsibility of a special kind of group of people, then, then we can do so much more that every, when everyone gets that joy of creation. And so our problems become less insurmountable. And also it means that, um, because if you're not creating, then the role that you often go into is, as you said, Bianca, idolizing or criticizing. And I always think it's better to create than to criticize. It's better to just try to do it. And then you won't try to bring others down when they do it. Yes, I'm Cece. I am a rising sophomore at Princeton University where I study linguistics and translation. Um, and to build on what Helen and Irene said, which I resonate with deeply, uh, if I were to have one wish for the future, it would be that we all become a little more empathetic to those around us because I really like, I really believe that everyone can benefit from having a little bit more empathy, even if it's something that we hold dear to us and all like nourish within us. I really believe that there's no such thing as being too empathetic. And this is something that I've been trying to hold close, especially during quarantine. Um, kindness is so much more important than a lot of people realize. And I think that the most effective way to demonstrate that is to keep telling our stories. Now, especially, is not the time for us to whisper. I really feel that empathy is born out of inspiration. It's so, so important to be able to foster the creativity that empathy can be born out of. Um, and you've already begun curating different stories from the LGBTQ plus communities. Uh, yes. Tell us a little bit about that. So I've begun gathering stories from historically marginalized voices. And to me, it's so, so important to shine a light on just people and what people go through in their daily lives. Because you never know what somebody could be suffering through in the moment that you come across them, even if you just like look at them as you walk past them on the street. And something I'm really, really passionate about is just shining a light on everybody's story because everybody's story is important. And speaking, I mean, kindness is such an important word too. So I was wondering, all of you, and I know some of you are involved in some kind of um, even arts projects that are helping people during quarantine. Um, I know, um, I would just want to know, like, what are some stories or things that you observe of the everyday kindnesses or, you know, inspiring projects in your communities that have that, get, that make you hopeful, you know, like that's an example of how we might move forward. Maybe we could expand this. Maybe we could take something that's local and make it national, you know? Um, I have a story um, that kind of reminds me of what Cece said in that we, we need to like have, make sure that in our creativity, we make space for like empathy grows from our creativity. Um, I have a friend who um, 
after what happened with the protests and the Black Lives Matter movement resurging again, um, she is she was always into like all the shirts that she always wore. She made them herself and she would embroider patterns on them. And um, what she's doing current like right now, she started an Instagram page and she is embroidering um, like really beautiful designs and um, quotes and words and images related to the Black Lives Matter movement. And she is giving them out for donations and matching them to support um, the Daniel Trust Foundation. And just seeing that um, reminds me of just how much creativity is important. And the, the act of her actually going out there and using um, and just like empowering herself to empower others was just, it really inspired me. And I think that's something important um, I think um, the role models we have shouldn't be like Bianca said, like celebrities that we actually don't know at all. Like we have never talked to these people, but rather like people in our communities, friends we know and talk to. Um, and I think that's what Bianca's getting with the whole like we shouldn't idolize people and actions where we don't know, um, where we don't even know if it's true and it's if it's genuine. Something that that this conversation has reminded me of is a little bit of the framework of the research that I've been a part of. So one of the professors at my university, Dr. Rua Benjamin, has started a um, race, race and data lab, which is essentially um, seeking to uncover the racial dynamics of COVID-19 in many different ways. So from prisons to mental health, healthcare, arts and alternative futures, there are a bunch of different teams working um, with her to try and highlight those under or historically underrepresented voices um, in, in each of these categories. But something in particular that I wanted to highlight was um, the zines and playbooks that some of these teams are doing, specifically the Arts and Alternative Futures team is sourcing a lot of different Black artists and their voices and the type of arts that they've been doing to center themselves and also understand their role and identity in the midst of all of the turmoil that's happening. So it, 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 I believe it's mostly in New York, but the open calls for all artists around the country. And it's been really enlightening and, and wonderful to see the sort of arts that they're producing, be it poetry and, and visual arts. And um, it, it's a wonderful way to, I guess, kind of both highlight the artists themselves and allow them a chance to showcase their work, but also build connections between those artists and have them kind of collaborate towards a, a broader vision of what they see the world as now and, and what they'd like the world to be. So that playbook has been really wonderful to see. And I was wondering, uh, Bianca and Irene particularly, but I guess all of us, I mean, when it seems like it's such an ongoing story, but uh, when you see the recent events where people have been murdered and by uh, police, I mean, we'll say murder, right? Um, how, how does that make you feel? I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's, it, it does, what is your sense of frustration or what is your feeling? I mean, are there, are there things that you feel that productively that we can do beyond protests? Because I guess that's the other thing. There's protests, there's positive action. I mean, what's the... What is the goal with that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a hard question to really put like a, 
a nice and neat and tidy answer on, but my best attempt would probably be, I mean, not only as a Black person, but as a person who majored in African-American studies, nothing about what's happening is kind of a new revelation to me. It's definitely just a continuation of a lot of the historic injustices that have been happening. And so in that way, I think I can speak for myself and others who I've talked to who aren't necessarily surprised at what's happening. What I would really like to happen is for there to be a continued engagement with the organization or organizing and other mobilizing that's happening. Because as much as it's easy to kind of post a black square and forget about the real things that are happening, it would be ideal for everyone, I think, to not only reckon with the things that are happening out in the world and which obviously allows you to distance yourself from what you believe to be the problem, but start in the heart and, and the home and the family. I think those are concrete ways to not only go beyond protesting, but thinking about how you yourself are may or may not be complicit in the broader systems that are perpetrating these crimes, but it's my two cents. Yeah, no, like I definitely agree with, with what Irene is saying just about how these problems, like especially to like a black person, like it's not something that just popped up, you know, like when I heard about George Floyd's killing, I was not surprised. You know, it wasn't a shock to me as to many other black people that um, my black peers, it wasn't a shock, you know, like these problems are historic, they're systemic. And I feel like when we're talking about Black Lives Matter, um, I think the best thing for people like who are not Black identifying is to understand that these systems have been in place, you know, and to not think about Black Lives Matter as a moment, you know, but to more recognize the problems that go with that and to honor the people that have been working on these issues before Black Lives Matter became like a pop culture phenomenon in some type of way, you know, to continue to give, to continue to have these conversations, and to not think about this social epidemic as kind of a moment, as kind of something that just has been a part of our news cycle. You know, we can't just think of this as something that's passing. Um, rather than to recognize why these systems are in place in the first place and to have continued momentum towards this like historic and terrible thing that plagues our society. And this is a question for everyone, but I was uh, curious to, as to, you know, when you were growing up, um, how you were, first made aware of maybe by your parents or just uh, just growing up when you were very young first made aware of race and the way different people's approaches I mean how were you educated about that I mean at a young age like I'm mean, like sometimes you might be educated in a different way than me or I don't we don't think about the racism that might be there in the world you know um do you remember yeah um I guess as a black person it's just always something um just, you know, when watching TV, you know, not really seeing anyone like you. I've always been aware of race because that's just been 
ever since I've learned words and things, it's just knowing your place, um, you know, how you're looked at. The first time I've learned of the violence of race, however, is in my predominantly white community, the first time I was called a racial slur as gorilla and monkey in my own neighborhood. Um, when I was like, what, five or six? I know I feel like every black person, they're just born, especially with, well, I'm grateful for the increased amount of representation, but I know as a kid, there wasn't really much of that. So not really seeing myself in children's programs, in the books that I was reading, you know, I really had to search myself on, to see myself even in elementary schools other than, you know, that one week of Black history, you don't really learn a lot about ourselves. And that's type of a lesson that Black children, Black teenagers, we kind of have to go out of our way to learn about ourselves. You know, I think that's something that's like pretty weird. You know, like we normally go to schools to learn about each other um, different, but the fact that I have to go out of my way to learn about myself is something that um, has always been a thing, I guess. So really having to go out of my way to see myself as a human being, um, and that's just has always been, I don't remember when I just didn't see race. You know, I don't have that opportunity because of this the skin that I have and because of my surroundings and because of what I'm looked at. Because no matter what, there are people that see me as less than. I think that's a really powerful statement. Obviously, I resonate with it a lot. It's definitely something to come to terms with. I mean, Black children really have never had the privilege of seeing themselves as just kind of a, I don't know, blank slate, especially because of the criminalization and, and the heavy weight of assumptions that are placed upon them at such a young age. And the moment that, I guess, one of the moments that crystallized that for me as, as a child is, I remember being very, very young and being in the car on the way back from a family dinner and having a police officer stop us on the way home. And I was way too young to really understand and like grasp the weight of the situation, but what I could really strongly feel was the fear and intentionality between every angle of my parents' movements in the car and the passenger seat and the driver's seat. And I couldn't, I, I knew enough at that point to know that this was a, an incredibly significant and maybe slightly dangerous moment. I think I was maybe like four or five at the time, but I think knowing that and having that like very early memory made the unfortunate witnessing of Philando Castile's murder with his daughter in the backseat such a more terrifying and traumatic thing to see on social media because you know in your heart that that family could have been yours. Right. So it's been interesting to grow up as a Black person in America, to put it, put it bluntly. Um, I guess I'm reminded of the kind of Du Boisian double consciousness idea, which is always something to think about, is that although a lot of times people say, oh, why are these Black people gathered together? What are they plotting? But the othering isn't something that we're just doing 
just because it oftentimes is like out of necessity. Like learning the Black national anthem is something that we have to do to not only treasure ourselves and value ourselves, but also protect ourselves and, and our spirits against something that is constantly trying to tear us down. Yeah. Um, you know, just going around, just knowing that the first thing that people see you as is not high on Bianca Simons. I will always be that Black girl first. That is the first thing that anyone, especially in America, will look at me as, not as a human being, but as a color. You know, like the violent interpretations that result from that. It's just, it's, no matter where I go, I know the first thing that people will see me as is a Black person rather than Bianca Simon. And just to add my thoughts to this racism, like when I was young, I don't think I was really aware of this concept of racism because like the area that I lived in, it was pretty much all Asians and I didn't really have the chance to see people of other races. But then as I grew up, that's how I witnessed some really bad examples of racism. So for example, in high school, when I was in ninth grade, <clears throat> um, I learned these like insulting words that Koreans call other Asians, like Chinese or Japanese. And even though we are all of the same race, we are all Asians, I was like shocked to learn that there are these insulting words that we call people of other countries. And like what shocked me more is that like the words, I learned it from my history teacher. Like he used it naturally um, during his classes. And that's how, that's how I learned those words and other, and my friends too, that's how they learned those words. And I feel like, um, especially after um, the teacher, my history teacher used those words in his classes, more people in my grade started to use those words. And I thought it was a really bad influence to just youth and just students. And I, I really thought that should really change. That's so troubling when it comes from those who are supposed to be teaching us, you know. Um, and another interesting thing that I found and I read about, you know, I grew up a little bit like um, Yu Yang, you know, she grew up in different countries too. And a number of us on the panel have lived in different countries. Um, so I grew up in America and also in Europe. And, um, but when I was reading about America and then I realized, I thought, oh, uh, because in many ways, uh, you know, there was this feeling that in America there was more egalitarian or whatever. Uh, but then I realized, I look at some statistics and I, I saw that a lot of people don't have friendships outside of their uh, racial group like I was really surprised and so that I could see how white nationalism could take root and in whatever country if you don't have friendships outside of your racial group I think I read that it, in America it's more common say if you're a person of color to have some friendships outside of your racial group but there are a lot of people and I guess that's why some white nationalism can take root because they don't have they maybe have one friend or like a few friends, you know, and, and that's like, you know, not their close friends, you know, like the, <laughs> it's just some people that they may know. Um, and, but the, it's, the rest is quite homogenous. Uh, so it's, it's easy for the mind to 
to build up all these stereotypes and even hatred, I guess, in that way. And Cece, studying in Princeton, but now is in New Orleans, and New Orleans and the South has, has another... Uh, New Orleans is a, is a special place, I think. There is that legacy of what growing up in certain regions of America. Yeah, the Deep South is definitely a place. Growing up, I luckily am privileged enough to never have like witnessed anything personally but even seeing things like the way news reports are on certain news channels it's there's definitely a an unwillingness to think from other people's perspectives and a lot of times it's not even a conscious thing which is something that I've noticed which is the weirdest thing to me I guess I don't want to speak for like the entire South, but what from what I've noticed growing like growing up from outside of New Orleans, it's almost like a like a hive mind type thing, just like a unconscious disregard of other people, and that's something that I really took notice of ever since I was six, seven. Something that shook me a lot as a kid and it's something that has made me take to kindness and empathy so strongly within myself because I didn't want to be another part of that hive mind. I just want to quickly add on to what Sissy said just now um, about like how people think in like a hive mind concept, which is I think it's a very um, significant problem in the Asian community also because they value so much about the in-groups and they're very loyal to their in-groups and that makes them a little bit... Um, they feel attacked when the out groups is trying to get in that kind of mi mindset. It's very engraved in the culture and it's passed down through generations. We have to, you know, get out of the country or to consume media from other places around the world to understand that the issues with racism, for example, places like Taiwan, for example, where I'm from, it's not very racially diverse. So we're not really growing up thinking about race. And I feel like that would really be a problem given that this whole world is really coming together and we need to support each other. And I just feel like this would also be my one wish for the future for Asian communities to grow towards even just acknowledging race more than we already have. Yeah, and I had a question for Ileana. So when you talked about your one wish for the future at the beginning, you mentioned global warming. Mm -hmm. And I really think it's an important issue that we should all be aware of. So I was curious whether you have seen any efforts or something that you have done to achieve your wish. Well, like, I just thought of this recently since the creative process reached out, so I haven't really, like, looked too into it, but I know they're in, like, Broward County, like, they have, like, a program where, like, 
it like promotes to end global warming, but I don't, I'm not sure if they're like doing a lot of stuff right now, especially because COVID, but yeah. What if there was an app that allowed individuals to roughly track our carbon footprints and consumption of plastics and energy? That based on our purchases and travel, let us keep track so that we'd have a better idea of our individual contribution to climate change and we might make informed decisions on where to cut back. Countries and corporations are asked to sign on to these climate agreements, but it seems evident that if anything is going to change, changes need to be made on the individual level. It seems absurd that there's an app for everything, but on this issue we aren't using the technology at our fingertips. Thanks to everyone for taking part and enriching the podcast with your perspectives. Does anyone else have anything to share before we wrap up? I have something to share. Um, so I guess like a more concrete wish for the immediate future, I would really, really like to see more legislation or policies enacted to protect the trans community, especially trans youth, because like recently the White House tried to take away some of our medical rights and the fear that that like instilled in me and several people that I've been in contact with was just heart-wrenching and I would really like to see policies enacted that stop other trans people, especially trans youth, from having to encounter that fear. Because especially like from my point of view, being a non-binary person, trans existence is often not respected because it's not understood by a lot of people. And if there is more legislation and policy to sort of concretely protect us, it might help other people to see like, oh, like they aren't just a group of people that are gonna go away. I think that's just a really, really important change that I would love to see more of. You know, like definitely in regards to you know, you see a lot of, especially um, Black identifying trans women um, being killed during this time. I think 2019 was a state of emergency between 2019 and 2020 right now for trans women, specifically Black trans women. And when it comes to like the Black Lives Matter movement, I think there's still a lack of communication that is, um, happening over trans women being killed you know because you see a lot of coverage with george floyd and you know the police like abusing black men but you don't see the same conversation um over black trans women you know which i think you know even as black people we have to talk about in our own communities because there's just a dehumanization that comes with like trans women you know and i really think it should be talked about, those conversations should be happening from high school, you know, in our school system in the US specifically, because I don't feel like that's really talked about 
And because of that, there's just such a dehumanization involved with both non-binary people and trans women and trans women of color specifically. You know, so that starts with having these conversations and not shying away from topics such as that and just gender and sexuality as a whole. Any last words for anyone? I know it's all, you're all hot or you're all tired, but um, I think that you, I want to thank you all because you've given me a lot to think about. And I really, you know, like, like to, you know, it, this project is for you. So I, I like to make sure that it's your wishes and your dreams and what you're interested in learning and being a part of that is included in this. It's in the conversations and you've helped me. So all aspects of the projects and exhibitions. So I want to thank you because you really enrich it with your perspectives. I guess one wish that I have, which is not even in the five years, but more immediate, is just specifically with this US election, you know, I feel like with everything that's happening, um, I feel like, especially with this election, there's a lot of like who's worse and who's like slightly above average, you know? And I feel like, particularly black people, they have such um, an influence on the selection, yet there's very little talked about still about black rights or LGBTQ rights. You know, like we're expecting very little from our government. And I think one thing that's to be considered is talking about what we want rather than what we need to settle on. Because I think peers, like my peers around me, we're not very excited about the leadership that is to come, you know, regardless of the outcome. And um, I think we need to expect more about the the power of democracy and what a vote is. You know, when you cast a vote, it's more than who do we dislike less, is who do we expect to lead this country and to represent us in a global framework. And, you know, with that, I feel as if, particularly youth, I think they need to be more respected in terms of like our outcome. Because even with our US government, there are a lot of pe older people that occupy like that political framework and they don't really respect youth opinion or opinions from people of color. I think like that needs to be more considered because, um, you know, particularly with the Democratic Party, for example, the DNC is getting a lot of popularity and a lot of, um, they're getting a lot of power from black voices, yet they're not respecting black opinion, you know, with the recent votes that came out. So just, I think when it comes to engagement, I guess, for youth and people of color to be more recognized in regards to the vote and not as, oh, we already, you already have the vote for us to be represented more with our opinions um, rather than people to just occupy a place of government because they have the power to, to kind of respect people, respect the people who they represent and really think about their opinion. So just, just asking that more of our public officials. This podcast was co-hosted by Mia Funk and Eugen Lee with the participation of Irene Ross, Cece Alexander Guidry, Yu Young Lee, Ileana Waits-Zuckerman, 
Helen Chang, and Bianca Simons. Digital Media Coordinator is Yu Young Lee. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. Has this conversation sparked your creative process? If so, you can submit your creative works to submissions at creativeprocess.info for an opportunity to be included in the projection elements of our exhibition, Traveling to Leading Universities, or published in our website, www.creativeprocess.info. Want to get involved in exhibitions or interviews? Email us at team at creativeprocess.info.